Microsoft, you see the money that goes into Apple around that ecosystem thought, this is a further play to consolidate that ecosystem at the corporate level. So we're going to get all of your applications, all of your end users, everything that you previously had. Microsoft is making it very simple to subscribe to licensing at the point of consumption where you're used to have an independent desktop. They're saying, hey, we'll take care of that for you as well. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The Incident Report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Incident Report. This is, oh, hold on a second. What are we at? What episode are we at? 37, 38. No, we're at 39. 38. Adam, we're at 38. 38. You guys, okay. I'm Paul. You know me. You heard me just intro the show a second ago. But across from me, Adam Burke, my co-host. Adam, how are you doing? Good, Paul. Excited to be here for our 38th episode, as we just figured out, which is mm-hmm. great to be here. Excited. Had a great turkey day. Hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Long break. Couple pant sizes notched up. Belt loops expanding. Hope everyone had a great weekend. I know I did. Favorite memory of the weekend? I'm putting you on the spot. You had four days. You were just hanging out with a lot of family. And what would you say the best best memory is? I think the best memories, we have a we have a family tradition of going up the hill to pick out our Christmas tree. And the Christmas season officially starts for those who are not psychopaths and start Christmas before Thanksgiving. I'm fully down with launching the Christmas season and we do so by picking out a Christmas tree the day after Thanksgiving with the whole crew. So that was a lot of fun. Adam, thank you. You have the courage to say it. I would never have that kind of courage, Adam, but you have inspired me to be more honest. You are saying the truth. I don't understand how people get so excited for Christmas. They skip over Thanksgiving. We're talking mid-November Christmas lights and a Christmas tree. I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's a sign of the apocalypse. It's completely unacceptable and it must be fought at every turn. You are not authorized to sing Christmas songs or carols prior to Thanksgiving. It's just it's just ridiculous. I went to Target one time after Halloween and people were, you know, saying Merry Christmas and it didn't turn violent, but it, it got it got heated. You're a passionate man. You stand up for what you believe in, Adam. I will say I did start listening to Christmas music last night, so I don't think that would catch your ire, but... Nope. Fully yeah. acceptable, completely authorized. You're in the window of tolerance. What's your favorite Christmas song? Funny you should ask. My favorite Christmas song is Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, or Jingle Bell Rock. My least favorite song, and also could could spark you know temporary uh, urges of violence, is... The Paul McCartney song, Christmas Time, or what is it? Everybody having a Christmas time or whatever mm-hmm. that horrible, horrible song is no, yep. where they repeat they repeat the same lyric over and over again. It just feels like Chinese water torture. Mm-hmm. Completely unacceptable. Everyone who likes that song is just kowtowing to the fact that he was once a decent person and a good songwriter. That song is horrible and needs to be completely stricken from our social consciousness. Once a decent person. That's quite a line. I like that very much. Uh, I will say my favorite song, Don't Come At Me, uh, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande. That song is fantastic. I disavow you as my brother, and we can move on. 
So Adam, what do we do here? What's this podcast about? We have some listeners. They might still be listening. We want to keep them. We need to reassure them that this is worth their time. We talk about technology. We talk about trends. We go through, we comb and uh, do serious research into the channel news of the day. We pull out a couple tidbits, a couple articles, a couple things we think that can uh, affect the zeitgeist of the channel and can affect the decisions of our partners, of our customers, of the folks we, we work with on a day-to-day basis. Well said, Adam. Well said. Let's start right here, channel2e.com. I was combing through channel e to e, Adam, and I found this part was interesting. <laughs> Get it? Part. Hair? Combing? Let's move on. Keep the puns coming, Paul. I know that's what the people, give the people what they're looking for. Yep. Oh, we lost so many listeners right there. But for those who remain Windows virtual desktops, reports suggest Microsoft is preparing to combine its Windows 365 and Azure virtual desktop divisions into a single organization. Adam, you thought this was really interesting. You thought this kind of merging is going to change a lot of stuff. Well, it was pretty cool. I mean, so Azure Virtual Desktop, you know, it's formerly known as Windows Virtual Desktop, is a capability for desktop as a service for, you know, what people are calling a cloud-enabled desktop. And that's kind of been a different world than what a lot of folks are used to in their subscription to Microsoft 365 or previously Office 365. These two worlds are kind of combining in the Microsoft ecosystem, which is cool. Windows Virtual Desktop and Azure was typically more of a compute resource, right? So I have a, I have my desktop that I log into. It could be from your laptop. It could be from your, your tablet or your phone or anything like that. That's a screen that accesses your compute, which is somewhere else in an Azure data center. It's a container where you have all your applications, you have your identity and your your applications, everything in that container, and you're accessing that through Azure. That's not the same as your identity necessarily in Microsoft 365 or your subscription to the licensing, to the applications that now will live within that virtual desktop. It used to be a little bit separated, right? You had your Microsoft operating system on your machine, and like I, I work locally on a machine, I, I VPN or, or do those types of things. But these two worlds are kind of combining and, and it's going to be interesting to see how partners and customers can leverage the fact that, that the Azure virtual desktop is being blended into the, the resellers of Microsoft 365 and subscription-based SaaS licensing. So Adam, when I'm not listening to Ariana Grande or feeding my cats... I'm reading comic books. It's a full life. And I've noticed that DC and Marvel, when they have so many characters and so many worlds, what they'll do is they'll have this gigantic event where they will compress all the worlds. It just so happens that in DC or Marvel, every so often there's there's a cataclysmic event that kind of like crushes all the worlds into one universe all the different universes combine into one universe and usually why they do this is because they only have a handful of good characters in each universe and they want to put it all into one continuity so people can easily follow it my point adam i'm getting somewhere do you think that's kind of this situation that Microsoft is like, hey, we have some good things over here in 365. We have some good things over here in virtual desktop. Let's ditch some of the trash and build one universe with the strongest parts. 
I think that's a great analogy. So kind of like an, an Ender's Game. Is it Ender's Game or Endgame? Which one is the one with Thanos, the big purple dude? Endgame. Endgame. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Endgame in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Taking the Azure world of virtual desktops and they're taking your previous per user Microsoft 365 licensing and they're combining them together in the standpoint of here's kind of your all-in-one cloud desktop. With, with And it's about getting that buy-in. A good comparison would be when you buy into the Apple ecosystem as a consumer, you have your iTunes, you have your communications, you have your text messages, you have your Instagram. All your apps are kind of there within your Apple ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Microsoft, you see the money that goes into Apple around, around that ecosystem thought. This is a play, a further play to consolidate that ecosystem at the corporate level. So we're going to get all of your applications, all of your end users, everything that you previously had, you know, residing on your desktop and all different competitors using that, that machine as a, as a place to sell you software. Microsoft is making it very simple to subscribe to licensing at the point of consumption where you're used to have an independent desktop. They're saying, hey, we'll take care of that for you as well. The big competitors that this could affect, and it'd be interesting to see how this happens, is people who have previously leveraged things like Citrix and VMware virtual desktop infrastructure. Those applications have lived in the Azure world um, hosted by, by that compute. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they work together or don't in these environments. We saw Windows licensing and some of those considerations challenged with the AWS ecosystem earlier last year, where they basically made the rule that, hey, you have to you have to acquire additional licensing in order to have a, a Windows machine live in AWS, which was a pretty strong shot across the bow with the, within the AWS world from from Microsoft. So it'll be interesting to see how Citrix and, and VMware deal with this shift as well. It will be interesting to see what happens. Up next, Adam, FTX collapsed. And it is taking down a lot of other organizations. BlockFi files for bankruptcy as FTX fallout continues to spread. BlockFi has filed Chapter 11. In the filing, the company has indicated that it has more than 100,000 creditors with liabilities and assets ranging from $1 billion to $10 billion. BlockFi was last valued at $4.8 billion, according to PitchBook. It is among many crypto firms feeling the pressure of FTX's collapse FTX going bankrupt had a lot of had a lot of tentacles kind of out into other aspects of of that world. And it's they had some pretty significant investors in that FTX realm. And I mean, people as as significant as like, you know, the Sequoia Capitals of the world, they lost their limited partners, their LPs lost about $214 million um in that in that trading incident. So and Sequoia Capital, for those who if you don't know who they are, they've been one of the largest private equity uh, institutions in, in Silicon Valley. So smart people got duped by this as well. And I think we're going to continue to see bankruptcies and people filing for chapter 11. And probably you hate to say it, but when the tide goes out, you typically see who's, I think who's swimming naked. And, uh, there were some people out there who were way over leveraged. Not everyone was as corrupt as, as the FTX situation, but yeah, there's some, there's some people out there who are way over leveraged and a lot of these things are going to blow up. So this is a really interesting quote. The CEO of FTX right now, John Ray, said in the filing that in his 40 years of legal and restructuring experience, he has never seen such a complete failure 
of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. And by the way, Ray was also the CEO of Enron after the implosion of the energy titan. So he's like, hey, this is even worse than Enron. Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, Smartest guys in the room if you want to read about the Enron collapse. But yeah, that that gentleman, he, he was the guy who was in charge of unwinding that that debacle. And uh, that's pretty bad that this is worse than that. So FTX went from 32 billion valuation to bankruptcy within days. That's incredible. And to what you were saying, FTX has more than 1 million creditors, according to the updated bankruptcy filing. So a lot of people involved in FTX. And like you said, Adam, a lot of nudity at the beach right now. Yeah. Nudity at the beach, swimming naked, you know, another analogy that People hate to hear, but it's, you know, the, you got the, the stairs up and the elevator down type of situation when these things blow up. I think we're seeing that in a few places around the market. I know a couple of the other things we wanted to cover today. And I, I know a lot of our folks that we've talked to and we meet in, in the channel aren't necessarily involved in the finance portion of this. But I think I think it's important because, you know, like we talked about Sequoia, we talked about other private equity firms, a lot of these organizations and their limited partners are the people who fund a lot of these kind of technology startups and even some of the big ones. So we were going to cover the Citrix deal again, if we wanted to kind of jump into that one, Paul. Adam, I'd love to. And uh, this is brought to us by Reuters, which is not pronounced Reuters, which in the pre-show I was pronouncing it Reuters. So just full transparency, everybody. I want to be honest with you. And I also want to help educate everybody out there. It's Reuters. Don't be an idiot. It's not Reuters. All right. Banks close painful Citrix debt chapter with 700 million loss. Wall Street banks complete the sale of the 8.55 billion in loans and bonds backing the leveraged buyout of business software company Citrix Systems by accepting a $700 million loss. This one was interesting and this one's been cooking for a while. We first kind of talked about it at the beginning of the, you know, earlier towards the beginning of 2021 when it first kind of hit the street that, you know, they were going to have to reevaluate and reassess how this was going to happen. And really what drove this was the rising interest rates from the Federal Reserve and the idea that on this leveraged buyout, the private equity teams and the banks involved basically put together a package to acquire Citrix and then leverage Citrix um, based on a bunch of cheap debt. Well, halfway across the river, the debt on the other side of the river that they were going to use to finance this, the interest rate, you know, basically significantly increased. You know, imagine you're going to buy a house and you're, you think you're going to pay 3.5% interest on, you know, a $200,000 mortgage and you get to closing and all of a sudden that 3.5% interest you were going to pay is now upwards of seven or 8%. They were leveraging the company instead of leveraging the house, but the same math applies, all of a sudden now you have a much larger payment and much more expensive debt to finance that deal. And the reason this matters is this is going to adjust and change future leverage buyouts. And something this big is, you know, stings for a while for some of these banks that got caught basically holding the bag and servicing this debt on their books. They don't, none of these guys want to keep this on their books. They want to sell it off as fast as possible to the next to, to the next organization. And and right now, the people who are back in this deal 
got caught holding the bag. That's a fantastic point because while reading this article, I'll be honest, Adam, I wasn't really sure how it tied into channel partners in technology. Private equity firms rely on junk rated debt to improve their returns on, on acquired companies. Mm-hmm. So so you they basically sell off the debt to get a better valuation and a better return on companies that they use LBOs for. I'm really glad you explained that because I don't know what junk rated debt is. So, sorry. So basically they say, hey, we're going to give you, we're going to buy your company for $4 billion. Okay. And we're going to, we're going to go get debt to do it. Yeah, but we're going to use your cash flow and your company, which is basically like a house to secure that debt. If Citrix has, let's just pretend they're, they're selling $4.5 billion worth of stuff a year. Mm-hmm. The, the leverage buyout is going to use that, basically use that cash flow to pay for the debt. You're basically just leveraging up the heck out of a company and piling a bunch of debt on it. So you can execute a transaction and get your fees. Okay. It's making a little more sense now. But what happened was they, they had that beautiful plan completely laid out and all the powers that be were going to, the banks were coming with the money and then they were going to sell that and get their money back. They got caught. They got caught with their money stuck at the company. They couldn't get it out in a returnable way that, that made them, that was a profitable transaction for them. They got They got caught with the real money, the bank's money, stuck in the deal. Everybody, everybody, I want you to understand what's happening right now. You are witness to what happens when somebody majors in communication, talks with somebody who majors in finance. It's a wildly uneven conversation, but ultimately, the person in communication learns something. And C's get degrees. Don't forget that. Yeah, don't set that bar too high. Look at me. I set the bar at A's and I'm the one asking you for help. I'm like desperately needing help here. So that's a great point. Adam C's get degrees. Yeah. This is fun for me to read about this stuff. I don't know if it is for anyone else, but if you read more about like Apollo group, Adam, I'm taking notes. The Apollo group got stuck in a similar situation with Lumen, basically looking to take a haircut on their, on their debt, which would say they had a $2 billion loan that Apollo group was backing for Lumen technologies and Lumen's pretty big in, in our industry. Uh, they're they're massive, but they've had some debt issues in the past as well. So, if you it's a great it's a great article. Reuters put it out, kind of summarizes some of the financial situations people are dealing with, you know, at the enterprise level. But the reason I like to talk about it is this: these considerations cascade all the way through the the medium market, the enterprise, and the SMB. The cost of money dictates decisions. How people deal with debt, how people finance their their companies, how people finance their acquisitions, how people finance their purchases. All this stuff has pretty significant ripple effects throughout our community and through everything that we do. I am always amazed how interconnected everything is. And I think this is such a great example of this will have ramifications and trigger other events or potentially not trigger other events because this happens. So I love how connected everything is. I do too. And you know what? That was a Reuters article. I, I'd love, let's jump, let's jump to like a, a little bit of a smaller post, but I think a great post by, by our friend, my friend over at Channel Playbook. Let's do it. Our next article comes from Peter Radizetsky, Turmoil in Telecoms. Selcos are spending billions per year. The top three spend 30 billion on CapEx for their network. 5G has been hyped to the max, but when will it pay off for the top three? Ring Central is thinking about acquisitions. Investors in Wall Street want consolidation in UCAS as growth 
has slowed too much to their liking. Peter kind of goes through the cellular providers and the 5G rollout and the investment there and when when that money is going to come back. And then further down, he goes into the unified communications market. And Peter's got a great history. I was on a panel with him. He moderated a great panel at a CVX show that we were at recently. And he talks about, you know, Ring Central acquire potentially acquiring another organization and, and the debt that's on their balance sheet. And then also just some of the, the competitors that people are dealing with from a status quo standpoint and how organizations that have a lot of debt on them, they start slowing down in their ability to move and adjust dealing with change. I, I love the way he ends the article, quoting Peter, order taking is over. A lot of people, as they move to UCAS, Peter's kind of always evangelize the idea that that's not taking an order for UCAS is not really selling. So he's like saying, Hey, order taking is over from this point forward. Selling is required value presentation, discovery, challenging, and great follow-up. And that's a small percentage of salespeople. Peter's someone I'd love to have on our podcast. And we definitely want to invite him to come on the incident report. And we will appreciate his, his overview of, of the environment and, and what everyone's dealing with from a sales standpoint. It's a great piece. And I do love that final paragraph where he says, hey, sales, you want to be good at sales? This is what you have to do because so few people are doing this. Yep. So many great articles today. I encourage you to go read all of them. The links are in the description. And Adam, thank you so much for joining me today, sharing your thoughts on these articles. Have an amazing week. And to everybody listening, I hope you have an amazing week as well. We will see you next week for episode 39. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate everyone. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at theincidentreport at questsys.com. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.